At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. We are in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Uh, that was Matt. Uh, he's our director of stewardship. Uh, he's doing a great job just helping us all just learn to be better, better stewards of uh, the funds and the resources that God has given to us for kingdom advancement. Uh, it's been wonderful to hear just from so many of you about the impact that the uh, generosity series had on so many of you. I love that uh, the word of God truly is living and active um, in our church family. Uh, we have a survey coming your way. It's coming this Tuesday. Um, and so uh, just be on the lookout for it. It's gonna come from a company named Campos uh, on behalf of Woodside. If we have your email, you will get this email from us. We're just trying to uh, hear from you so we can know how to better serve you, just how to continue to um, grow as a church family. And so it may end up in your junk folder. So please check there and fill it out for us. We wanna hear from you. Last week, Pastor Jonathan began our new series, Habits, uh, and he talked to us about the spiritual discipline of serving. Uh, so important, he laid out a wonderful vision about us reversing that 80-20 rule. You've heard it many times, 20% of the people do 80% of the work, and he said, let's reverse that. Let's have 20% of the people at the church at any given time not doing anything in serving because of a life circumstance. That happens to all of us. But let's have the other 80 of us serving at all times. Beautiful thing. Uh, so I want to give you three ways that you can sign up to serve in July. We have a table out there where you can get more information. And um, so the first one is the, the CareNet Walk for Life uh, through, uh, throughout the Detroit Zoo. And so this is July 24th. CareNet is one of our uh, partners in ministry. They, uh, they work to provide resources for women and families and those who have a hard time understanding or, or seeing the value of an unborn baby's life. And so uh, we've done uh, work with them through the years. They have a wonderful ministry. Join them. If you care about this, uh, about life, uh, join them uh, in this walk. Also, we have a summer serve coming up. We did a spring serve a couple of months ago. And, uh, and so now we're doing this. You know, a couple of months ago, about 100 of you came out. It was wonderful. We're, we're doing that again. Um, but now it's the summer. So it's summer, spring. Oh, summer serve, and um, but uh, but we're going to be serving again with some of our partners um, throughout the community, and um, so July twenty eighth, it's for the student ministry. It's a Wednesday, and so if you have a child in middle school or high school, we're inviting all the families that have students to sign up for that. They're going to be serving an angels place, which helps take care of adults with disabilities. It's a wonderful work, and then on July thirty first, which is a Saturday, maybe others of you can sign up for. That that day. We're going to be serving again with Shiloh Detroit, serving with Community Housing Network that helps uh, lift people out of homelessness and poverty. So uh, would you just go, you know, we have a QR code in the back uh, or in the lobby that you're going to find that you can just sign up uh, to help us have a great turnout for these opportunities. The last one that I want to give you is so important, and this one needs all of you because it has to do with us being able to do church here every Sunday. So I want you to just ask yourself one question, okay? If on Sunday mornings, and there are 52 of them each year, if on Sunday mornings you don't preach 
or sing or play an instrument or do the tech work back there or you don't um, serve coffee or teach the kids or say welcome out there in the lobby. If you don't do any of those things, you simply come in, sit down, drink coffee, listen, and then leave. I want you to ask yourself this one question. What would happen to our Sunday services if everyone else did what you do? We would not have services. We could not have them. We need you. Now, the good news is that people are coming back to church. You know, our attendance is getting very close to what it was pre-COVID, which is awesome, as it should be, because if people are not back yet, I don't know what they're waiting for. But it's a great thing that people are coming back. That's the good news. The bad news is that we're still operating, listen to this, with about half, half of the volunteers that we had pre-COVID. So the church is getting back to where it was, but the volunteers are lagging behind. Now, the half volunteers that have been holding us together for the last year, you know, the Lord bless them. They're sending their rewards ahead to heaven. I don't feel bad for them. They're going to have an ocean view in heaven. That's all good. But we don't have enough. Okay? So we need you. So I want to invite you to help us build your church okay build your church so here's where we have the needs these are not the only places where we have need but these are the biggest ones we need 60 volunteers for kids right now we're operating with about 50 and we have a ton of babies that are as you always know uh we're very active in this church so they're being born and so we need 60 uh 60 more volunteers for kids we need 44 more for hospitality not 43 not 45 jonathan's math is very precise we need 44 okay so uh right now we have only 36 and for worship and that's people who have skill up here or back there uh we need 20 more I know that there are many of you that are not doing anything on Sundays. And me, I don't, I don't know why that is. You know that. All I'm saying is we need you. Now, what I love about our church family is that when we see a need, we rise up to meet it. I've seen that in the last five plus years that I've been here. It's been beautiful to watch. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And I'm going to invite you to join us in praying to the Lord to... Um, to move us and to move you to love Jesus in such a way that you want to build his church and that you know that Sunday matters greatly. So that's the first thing. We gotta start with prayer because the Lord is the one who provides the workers. So could you all join us in that? Yes? Okay, good. That's the first thing. The second thing is in the next, in the upcoming weeks, we're gonna keep showing you this slide. Because sometimes people say, hey, I want to serve in my church. I just don't know where the needs are. They are right here. So we're going to keep them before you so you can also see how those bar graphs are changing and how we're getting closer to the goal because we all need to own this, okay? So you'll keep seeing this. And third, you're going to see... Uh, throughout the building, if you go to the bathroom, they're in the bathroom, but everywhere you're going to see this poster that says, build your church, sign up to serve. And then it gives you that QR code and you can just scan it. And in two minutes or less, you can sign up to serve. So you cannot miss it. You cannot be like, where am I supposed to sit? No, it's everywhere around you. It just says, build your church, sir, sign up to serve. Okay. So you guys, listen, COVID took a swing at us, depleted our resources. Let's swing back. Amen? Okay. Luke chapter 4. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us hearts that long to serve, not to be served. Father, hearts that want to build the church, that treasure what happens here every Sunday. Lord, today we have such a joyful text before us. 
Could you prepare us to receive it with joy? To experience joy? To enter into your joy? Even when life is hard and we must be sorrowful yet always rejoicing, which you alone make possible. So come, Spirit of God, be our teacher. Do what you alone can do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Luke 4, verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, that is Jesus. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The word of the Lord. So we continue our three weeks in this short series, Habits, Ancient Practices for Today's World. There's a cultural shorthand phrase for an elusive state of being that we all seem to want but few of us ever achieve. And that is work-life balance. Work-life balance Amen. We're connecting already. Okay, so work-life balance refers to the, uh, to the amount of energy, to the energy and time that, uh, that it takes for us to do our work and then to do the rest of life, like your family and your hobbies and exercise and so forth. The idea is that in our culture, work is almost sacred, meaning that it can become and be all-consuming and no one would bat an eye. Putting in 60, 70, 80 hours a week is expected in many fields and companies, um, ex especially as you go up in experience and responsibility and pay. If you want to succeed, you need to sell yourself. Give the best of your time, the best of your energy to your work. Now, work-life balance advocates who try to look at life more holistically, they look at that picture and they say, if that's the price of success in America, then the price is too high. Are we living to work or working to live? Which one is it? Is the tail wagging the dog? You see, there are more important things in life than professional or material success. Things like uh, meaningful conversation, and time with friends, things like investing in your children or supporting and enjoying your spouse or doing things for others like we're doing in the summer surf. Those things take time, they take energy. Then there's things like exercise and hobbies and enjoying nature and giving rest to our bodies and souls. Listen, as much as we've grown accustomed to and as much as we admire computers and computing power, humans are not machines. Humans are not machines, and it's because we treat our bodies like they are machines that so many are so unhealthy. High anxiety, high depression, high burnout rates. There must be a better way. And indeed, there is. In the gospel, we're invited into a totally different mode of existence. Because you see, yes, work-life balance is far better than the imbalance of all work and no life. But in the Christian way of life, the goal is not to divvy up the hours of your week amongst the things that really matter to you, work-related and life-related. No, in the Christian way of life, the goal is to work 
from rest. To love from rest. To do from rest. The goal is for us to, to cease striving and, and to cease our restlessness and for us to be able to rest in God. That's the goal. Rest in God. When we rest in God, then everything else about our lives will function as it should. Work, relationships, other activities and priorities will be healing and uplifting rather than polluting and dehumanizing to our souls and persons. And that's what this series is precisely about. It's about those habits that enable us to rest in God. Historically, they've been called the spiritual disciplines. The spiritual disciplines. Uh, they are disciplines, or they're rather, they're things that we do, hence discipline, that God empowers, hence spiritual. So the doing comes from us, the transforming power comes from God. And so in these three weeks, we're looking at three of those disciplines that allow us to rest in God, but we're also creating curriculum for our live groups so that in your groups, uh, if you chose, choose to, you may be able to study a number of these habits, a number of these disciplines, habits like praying scripture, fasting, scripture study, simplicity, solitude, submission, service, confession, guidance, celebration, Sabbath, and generosity. So this curriculum will be available in the fall. And hey, you as a group may decide to look at a number of these. I would definitely encourage you to do that. Well, today, last week, Jonathan taught on the spiritual discipline of service. Today, we're teaching on the spiritual discipline of celebration. Celebration. So good. I've been so excited about this. We're kind of at the end of the end of the spectrum from lamentations, right? So we're going to talk about celebration. Celebration is joy personified. Joy is one of the fruits of God's spirit. And when we celebrate, we are personifying the attribute of joy. Have you ever seen a four-year-old child just giggling uncontrollably? During kids camp, we got to see that all week long. It was so much fun. And you look at that child just giggling and you go, that's pure joy. That's what we're after with this habit of celebration. And so let me give you a definition for celebration. Celebration is a spiritual practice by which we enjoy and praise God's favor in Christ and in all good gifts through specific activities or festivities, okay? So celebration is a spiritual practice by which we enjoy and praise God's favor to us in Christ and in all good gifts through specific activities or festivities. So for example, Thanksgiving is a celebration of the gift of food. Weddings are a celebration of the gift of marriage. A birthday is a celebration of someone's life. Christmas is a celebration of the birth of Christ. Easter is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. But we don't have to wait for these significant festivities. You know, you can celebrate uh, job promotions or conquered sin or a devoted friend. Last night, you know, one of you threw a party for his spouse's 30th birthday and he went all out. I mean, all out, band and food. I mean, it was amazing. It's like they were getting married all over again, but it was so good. Uh, and, uh, but he shared with me like a couple of months ago when he was planning this, that he wanted to do this as a gift. Yes, for his wife, but also for all of us who would be there. And it was a wonderful time of celebration. That's what we're after. We're after 
all of us embracing celebration because we can all do this. We can all do this. We want to embrace it as a lifestyle. In fact, today we're going to see that celebration is the exclamation point on the Christian life. Celebration is the exclamation point on the Christian life. So we're going to look at how celebration figures in the ministry of Christ. We're going to look at some examples of that. And then we're going to look at a lifestyle of celebration. So we'll begin with the reason for celebration. Read with me one more time. Luke 4 verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This passage is significant because it marks the beginning of Jesus' ministry as narrated by Luke. So what's happening here is that Jesus goes back to his hometown, Nazareth. There he goes into the synagogue on a Sabbath day, as was his custom. And he stands up to read the scriptures. And as he does that, they hand him the scroll of Isaiah. They had different scrolls for different prophets and scriptures. And he specifically finds the passage, which is Isaiah 61. That's what we call it, uh, where this is written. And that passage he finds there is pointed for our purposes for three reasons. First, the Messiah's mission is good news. Look at how the Messiah's ministry is being framed. He says, you know, the spirit of the Lord is upon him. He's he's got this anointing for a specific purpose. What's the purpose? To proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So he comes to bring good news and to proclaim liberty and recovery of sight. Second, the Messiah's mission is for the destitute. He comes with a message for the poor, the blind, the oppressed, the captives. Those who find themselves in the margins of society and neglected find themselves as the target of the Messiah's good mission. And third, the Messiah's mission is surprisingly favorable. Look at the last statement from Isaiah that he reads. He says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, many have noticed that the very next line in Isaiah said, and the day of vengeance of our God. You can see this in Isaiah 61 too. But he did not read that. Isn't that amazing? He came all the way up to that line to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and stopped and rolled this scroll and was done with the reading. You see, as Jesus is framing his ministry, what he's here to do, he frames it all in terms of good news, of release, of liberty, of favor, the favor of God. Jesus did come to fulfill all of God's promises, all of God's warnings, but he fulfills them differently. He brings the year of the Lord's favor upon all the nations of the world, which includes us, but he brought the day of vengeance of our God upon himself. 
God's righteous vengeance over all wickedness, human wickedness, fell on Jesus on the cross. Don't miss that. That he came to proclaim the year of God's favor to us, but to bring on himself the day of God's vengeance. Amazing. And so he finishes reading Isaiah, which anyone else that day in the synagogue could have done, although not with a foresight to stop short of that statement on vengeance. But then he says something that no one else there could have said. He rolls it up, hands it to the attendant, and sits down. And the eyes of everyone, it says, were fixed on him. And then he says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Amazing. You see, Jesus has come to bring God's long-awaited favor to humanity. He came and he began the reversal of poverty and blindness and oppression and replaced them with fullness of God and light and freedom. He came and he ushered in a new age. His words from Isaiah actually borrowed from the year of Jubilee that was announced in Leviticus 25. The year of Jubilee for Israel was a year of release after seven cycles of seven years. So seven times seven, that's 49. On the 50th year, Israel was to have a year of Jubilee, a year of release, release from debt, release of slaves, release of land back to its original owners, Uh, that had perhaps gotten into hard times and mortgaged it or whatever. But just imagine the joy in the year of Jubilee. Just imagine having all your debts canceled. So good. That's what Christ came to announce. This is why he emphasizes liberty. I mean, I think of a picture. We've seen this in many movies, right? When someone has been in prison for a long time and they've shown us how hard it's been and how, 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 but then finally they're out. There's always that shot with the, prison behind them and they're out and they're facing the world. And it's that picture of, I am free. No more, no more oppression, no more condemnation, no more captivity, liberty. That's the overture of Christ's ministry. That's how he begins. That's how he frames it. And then he sets out to do precisely that, to heal the sick, to restore sight to the blind, to feed the poor, to teach the oppressed minds of his people. And the result is joy. Joy. The accent is on the joy that his very own presence brings. That's the joy that we have. And it's why the angel says to the shepherds when he's announcing the birth of Jesus, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So good. And so now that we've looked a little bit at the flavor, the character of the ministry of Christ, let's look now at how that ministry unfolds and how much celebration is a part of it. Because remember what we're after? We're after celebration. We're after this habit of celebration being a part of our lives, a lifestyle. We're going to celebrate because of the good news of Christ. So here are some examples. Examples of celebration. Remember, celebration is the exclamation point on the Christian life. Here are some examples. We're still still in Luke, Luke chapter five. Jesus calls Levi to follow him. Levi, who was a tax collector, he leaves everything behind and follows Christ. And then in chapter five, verse 29, Luke says, and Levi 
made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. So when Jesus calls Levi to follow him, uh, he throws this big feast, this celebration. Now, who throws the, the party? Levi does. Uh, who's the party for? Well, it's, you know, it says there, Levi made Jesus a great feast. So the feast is for Christ. But there were many others, tax collector friends of Levi's, who are in attendance. So the party's also for them. Now, what's the occasion? Well, it doesn't tell us exactly the occasion, but just the fact that Jesus has come into Levi's life is reason enough to celebrate. And by the way, this is something that you can do. If Christ has come into your life, throw a party. Throw a party and invite many friends that will benefit from what's happened in your life, what's happening in your life. Well, while the party's going on, as usual in the gospel, some of the Pharisees are not happy. They don't like what's going on. They don't like that Jesus is spending time with these tax collectors and sinners. But they're also taking issue with the fact that Jesus' disciples don't fast. So they come to him, they say, hey, John the Baptist's disciples fasted. We have disciples and they fast. How come your disciples do not fast? To which Jesus replies in Luke 7, or rather Luke 5, 34, he says, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in those days. Okay, so what does that mean? Jesus casts himself as a bridegroom and his disciples as guests at a wedding feast. And what he's saying to the Pharisees is, you can't fast at a wedding that would be ridiculous. I mean, think about this. You've been to weddings, wedding receptions. I mean, bride and groom spared no expense. There's music, there's lots of food, it's expensive. You're sitting there, you're celebrating the bride and groom and they bring you your plate and you say, uh, no, thank you, I am fasting. What a downer, what a downer. Listen, listen, someone invites you to a wedding, you better stuff your face. Okay? It's a celebration. That's what you're there for. You're not there to just sip on tea or whatever, you know? And so there's a time for fasting. In fact, Jesus says that, hey, there's gonna be a time when the bridegroom is gonna be taken from them. That's Christ. He's been taken from us. He says, and then they will fast. That's why fasting also is a spiritual discipline, but not here, not now. Here's what I want you to see. I want you to see how Jesus views his life, his message, his ministry as he's proclaiming God's freedom, the year of God's favor. How does he view it? As a wedding feast. And what's a wedding feast? A celebration. Okay. Two more examples, Luke chapter seven. So Jesus is speaking to the crowds and he's talking about John the Baptist. And here's what he says in 733. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine and you say he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is making a larger point here about the obstinacy, the pride of the people and the refusal to respond to God because they're not listening to John the Baptist in his style. They're not listening to Jesus with his style. But here's what I want us to focus on. I want us to focus on how Jesus characterizes himself and how people respond to him in light of that. So here's what he says. John came, John the Baptist, his cousin, he came eating no bread, drinking no food. 
So John's message and lifestyle was more closely related to attending a funeral. But then Jesus, on the other hand, came eating and drinking. And so his life and his message were closer to attending a feast, a wedding feast. So much so that those who didn't like him called him a glutton, a drunkard. Now, he wasn't those things. But there had to be enough joy and merriment in his life for the charge at least to be plausible. They would have never charged John the Baptist with that. With him, it was just all like heavy, just heavy news. But Christ, but here's what I want us to see, how Christ is casting himself as in this wedding banquet and he's eating and he's drinking and that's what they're accusing him of. But here's the thing, why is his ministry characterized as a celebration? Because he came to proclaim good news to the poor, release for the captives, the year of the Lord's favor. Celebration. One last one, Luke 15. Now in Luke 15, we have these three famous parables about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son, or rather two lost sons. There's a shepherd who loses one sheep out of a hundred. So he leaves the 99 and he goes in search of the one. And when he finds it, he puts it on his shoulders and he calls together his friends and his neighbors. And in verse six, he says, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Then we have the woman who lost a coin out of 10. And she turns on the lamp. She sweeps the house everywhere. She seeks diligently until she finds the coin. I mean, that coin, I mean, that's like fish and chips. You know, it's like, this is dinner. And when she finds the coin, she calls together her friends and neighbors. And in verse 9, she says, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that was lost. And then we get to the climax of the chapter, the father who lost a son out of two. Although really, the two sons were lost, just in different ways. But when the one son who had gone away and was destroying his life... And all this while living, when he comes back, the father sees him from a distance and he runs toward him and he embraces him and he kisses his face and he covers him with the finest robe and he throws a party. He throws a party. Look at verse 22 of chapter 15. The father says, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and what? Celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Listen, through these stories, Jesus is not only telling us that when someone is far from God and they come back to God, it's reason to rejoice, to throw a party. Yes, it is that. But he's also giving us the flavor. And that's what I'm trying to get us to catch today. The flavor of the life that someone who follows him, someone who knows what he's done for them, for this world, how they live in the favor of God and how their lives reflect the joy that should accompany that knowledge. God is on a rescue mission. God is in the business of seeking after human hearts. And when a human heart responds to him in humility and in repentance, turning away from their previous life, turning to the living God, that's reason to rejoice. God has made a way 
for rule keepers and rule breakers to rest in God. No one should come to God on the basis of their perceived merits. No one. And no one should stay away from God on the basis of their perpetual failures. No one. The Son of God came to earth to bring upon himself the day of the vengeance of our God so that he could drench us with the year of the Lord's favor. Isn't that amazing? We come to God by means of Christ. He became poor so that he could proclaim good news to the poor. He became captive and oppressed so that he could proclaim liberty, liberty to the captives. And so we're able to cease, to stop from striving, to strive, to stop from our restlessness. We get to rest in God's word, in the death of Jesus, in his resurrection. And we receive with great joy the year of the Lord's favor, the favor that God has brought to us. We receive that fulfillment of that favor with great joy. And so we celebrate. So let me leave you with three implications for our lives when it comes to celebration in light of the good news of Christ and what we're learning here today. A lifestyle of celebration. First, celebrate the end of sin's oppression and the victory of our God. Celebrate. So here's what you're going to do in your life. You want to celebrate the end of sin's oppression and the victory of our God. We've said that celebration is the exclamation point on the Christian life. The Christian life does not end with a question mark. Okay? As if we were always seeking and never finding. As if we were in doubt as to our eternal purpose and destiny. No, an exclamation mark is far more fitting because our sin has been conquered. Jesus came to take on himself God's wrath, God's vengeance, so that he could drench us with the favor of God. He, by his death, has released us from sin's oppression. We are slaves no more. When God took Israel out of Egypt following 400 long years of slavery with the Red Sea engulfing their former Egyptian masters, sinking their chariots and horses like stones into the depths of the sea. The first thing that Moses and the people of Israel did on the other side of the Red Sea, once they were free, was celebrate. That's what they did. They sang. They danced. This is in Exodus 15. They said, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host, he cast into the sea and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. That celebration after generations of oppression at the hands of Pharaoh and his officers, little Hebrew children murdered, women abused, men cruelly treated and killed. Israel finally celebrates Egypt's demise. They're free. And so for us, Jesus came not only to proclaim 
the end of sin. But he went to that cross to bring sin down with him. That's what he's done. He didn't just proclaim it. He achieved it. He did it. The prophet Micah talked about this in Micah 7. He says, the Lord will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. And then he says, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. All your sin, church, has been cast into the depths of the sea. Do you celebrate that victory? Does your life have a tenor? Because, man, sometimes I see you walking out of here, and, and it's like a person, like, what's happening to them? Do they not know what's happened? Does your life have a tenor of joy? Because your biggest foe, sin, has been brought down into the depths of the sea. God remembers your sins no more. They are covered by Christ. And it's reason to celebrate. We live in an age of apathy, of melancholy, of sadness, of anxiety, of fear. We have access to hard news from around the world in every field, on every malady plaguing human life. And if we're not careful, our lives, our hearts, our minds can be consumed with the cares of this world, which is why celebration is so important. Because in celebration, what we're saying is we are the Messiah's people and we embrace his good news of deliverance. Do you live in the year of the Lord's favor? Do you live in the year of his release? Release, has he released you? Release from pride, release from deceit and deception, release from lust, Aren't you happy to be released from that? Released from all your wicked thoughts. Released from fear. Oh man, we can be so afraid. Released from making life about ourselves. Isn't it so suffocating to make life about us? Released from past sins that you feel deeply ashamed of. Don't you live in the good of that? Christ came so we'd be able to see the jail behind us and just say, I'm free. Amen. That's why he's come. That's why we have him. That's what we celebrate. So celebrate the victory of our Lord. When we celebrate our salvation, we're not denying the human plight. Rather, we're affirming the divine victory. A victory that's available to everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ. So celebrate the end of sin's oppression and the victory of our God. Next, celebrate God's greatness with God's people. Celebrate God's greatness with God's people. The main event of celebration in the Christian church is this, the Sunday gathering. There is no other event in the life of the church that's a higher point than what happens here on Sundays. On Sunday, God's people gather to celebrate the triumph of God's word as we sing it, pray it, preach it, eat it in communion, watch it in baptism. We get 54 occasions to celebrate in this way a year. 52 Sundays, and then you add Good Friday and Christmas Eve. 54. Had to think for a second. 54. And what you want to do is you want to make it your life's goal to not miss one of them. 
That's where you want to make your goal. You have a contagious illness, stay home. <laughs> Otherwise, don't miss a chance to celebrate the triumph of the word of God. And when we're here together as God's people, we shout with shouts of joy. Have you noticed that when children are happy, they get noisy? Have you noticed this? Parents, you know this. Oh, yes, they do. You know, I feel bad because Ann and I oftentimes are telling our children, keep it down. You know, parents, have you ever done this? Your children are like happy and they're noisy. They're running around and you're like, hey, hey, over there. Keep it down. Keep it down. You know, my house can get loud. Our children, they love to sing and play the piano and the ukulele. And we have a drummer in the house. And the drummer doesn't just play the drums. Uh-uh. He taps with his foot. He claps with his hands. He clicks with his mouth. He will break into rhythm anywhere in the house, any time of the day. You've heard him here sometimes. You're welcome. But you see, <laughs> here's one thing that he and the rest of the children have never done. They've never made loud, joyful noises when they're sad or angry. Lots of noise comes from joy, joy. That's what we do when we come here to celebrate the kingship of God, his triumph over evil and sin and death. And we come with loud shouts of praise, praise. That's why we begin and we sing and we sing. And I know that it takes us a little while to get into it, but man, you wanna get there. And then when we're closing, we sing, we sing. We have permission from scripture to do this. In fact, we are commanded to do this. Psalm 150, there's many more, but 150, the last of the Psalms, this, the, 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 the hymn uh, book of Israel. Man, that right there tells us how God wants us to praise him. Listen to it, Psalm 150, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. So we come here to celebrate that God, God, God is great. Not we, we're not great. God is great. Now he makes us great. Praise him with trumpet sound. Do you know how loud trumpets are? We should have brought some trumpets here today. You know, I know some of you play the trumpet. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals as if we needed help knowing that cymbals are loud. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Sometimes when we are here worshiping together, I'd like to not sing so that I can hear the congregation. And when you're singing with all your heart, and sometimes some of you are not singing with all your heart, but when you are singing with all your heart, it's my favorite sound in the world. I could die right then and there. It'd be so good. You know, we have four brothers in the congregation, Mark, Josh, Ian and Matt. And they usually sit around here, not today. But they, and they sit together and they sing loud and they're wholly present and it's a sight to behold. Now two of them are moving away. 
So we need to replace this quartet. (laughs) But it's an awesome thing. Listen, celebrate God's greatness with God's people. And finally, celebrate often. Celebrate often. We don't have just 54 occasions to celebrate a year. That's here on Sundays, Christmas Eve, uh, Good Friday, but we have more. We have many more occasions to celebrate. Some of them are related to our national calendar because there's so much grace that God has bestowed in our country. So whether it's July 4th or Thanksgiving or Labor Day, celebrate. Some of the occasions for celebration have to do with personal achievements and accomplishments in your friend group, in your family's life. Some of them have to do with what God is doing in our church family. Just a few months back, a couple of months back, we wanted to celebrate the baptism of a young man that came into the church, Julian. And so we wanted to have him over, and we wanted to have his friend, who's also our friend, over, Scott. And so they came to our house, and we just had a blast. You know, uh, Julian is from France, and so my daughter spent all day uh, making this dish, cocovin, which is this, this um, um, a comfort food French dish, and it came out so good. I mean, Julian was impressed. And then uh, Julian shared with us that night his testimony, just what God had been doing in his life, bringing him to Christ. And he himself brought apple crumble uh, for dessert, which was fantastic. It really was so good. And then Scott God, later that evening, taught us how to make Italian pasta from scratch. He brought all the ingredients. He brought a little machine. And so we got the dough and the eggs, and we're, we're on the table. It's messy, and we're having so much fun. And then we're, like, putting this thing through the press. So the thing's growing, and we're, like, more people are holding the thing. And we're, like, oh, we're, like, cutting the pasta. And then he made this simple sauce with sage and lemon and fresh Parmesan cheese. The night was delightful and leisurely. We lingered. We so enjoyed each other's presence and conversation and the gift of God's grace at work and the gift of food. It was celebration at its best. We've talked about that evening many times since. But we all can do that. We all can do that. And so find reasons to celebrate and celebrate often. Church. Jesus came to announce the year of the Lord's favor to us by taking on himself the day of vengeance of our God. And if you've trusted in Christ, if you haven't trusted in Christ, then I invite you today, come, come, come in. Come to the family. Come to the celebration. You'll be hugged by your father and kissed and embraced and covered. You'll cover all your sins. They'll be gone. But you need to come in in humility not on the basis of anything you've done or failed to do, on the basis of the merits of Christ. But if you belong to Christ, then your life should have the flavor of God's favor that Jesus brought to us. So spend your time, spend your money, spend it with God's people and invite your friends that don't know Christ. Celebration is the exclamation point on the Christian life. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for giving it to us, God. 
Thank you for the gift. Thank you for the variety in your word. Just a couple of weeks ago, we were in perhaps one of the hardest parts of scripture in Lamentations. And, and then today, we just got these glimpses, these, these, these peaks at the tenor of the ministry of Jesus. Oh, how amazing it must have been to just see him and how incredible it will be when we do see him with our very eyes for all eternity. He will not go away ever again. Father, I pray you teach us to celebrate. Like Matt shared on that video, I pray that we will just derive so much joy, not from spending on ourselves, but from giving away. Just giving, giving of our lives to make others great to help others see your love. I pray, Father, for release. I pray that each person here would be able to, to claim and to live in that release that Christ has brought to us. Release from pride, from lust, from deception, from lies, from fear, from, from making life about us. Free them, God, free us. That marriages may be healed, that children who've walked away from you may come back the people who've been hardened and distant from you for a long time may melt in your presence bring them god save them we love you we trust you we celebrate your greatness in the assembly of your people and so now we sing with all of our hearts in christ's name we pray amen let us rise and sing Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.